The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, and all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. So, we learnt last week that this is an acrostic poem where each verse takes a new letter, the next letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And what I want us to focus on today is to note that this psalm is a meditation on three aspects of God. And each of these is announced with, with a matching phrase. So we're going to talk about his greatness. Great is the Lord in verse 3. His compassion, verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. And his justice and righteousness, verse 17. Keith's going to put a picture up for me. Um, that I hope will draw our thoughts together. So I've put a picture of a rope up here. And so what I... The idea that I want you to get, that all three of these aspects of, of God, his greatness, his compassion, and his justice and righteousness, are all intertwined, interwoven with each other. None of them is separate and stands on its own. God is one, and there's no conflict in his nature. There's no conflict between these different aspects of God. Thus, his greatness includes his compassion and his righteousness. His compassion includes his greatness and his righteousness, and his righteousness includes his greatness and his compassion. Do you get the idea that it is all wound together and these things can't be separated out, that, that God is all of these things consistently? So let's, I'll leave that there for you to kind of hang your thoughts on as we, as we go through this this morning. So let's look at verses 3 to 7. The Lord is great. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Um, his greatness is unfathomable. So a fathom is a unit of depth. And we also use it when we're talking about something that is so hard to understand. On Wednesday night, Saints beat Manchester City. Soon <laughs> And if you'd have asked me beforehand, well, Josh and I had a WhatsApp conversation about how hopeless that this was, because they've got all the great stars of world football, Alf, Inga Haaland, who's the guy, he's a machine of a striker and can score goals from nothing. So it was unfathomable to me, having seen them almost get beaten by Lincoln City a few weeks before, it was unfathomable that they would win against Man City, but they did. So it was something that's so hard to understand, and they won again yesterday, so this is, um, things are really on for the <laughs> So, 
That's the, so God's greatness is unfathomable, difficult to understand. You can't get to the bottom of it. You can't get to the top of it. Don't even try to understand it all. And if somebody tells you they do understand it all and, and this is how it all works, don't believe them because they won't, they won't have got their heads around it. There is mystery in our unfathomable God. We cannot understand everything about him, why all things, why things happen. It, there is mystery here. But he is a great God, an unfathomable God. And the more we know about him, the more we realise we don't know. I think you will agree with me there. <coughs> so, he is a great God. His greatness no one can fathom. And one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So, the greatness of God needs to be made known from one generation to the next. So, that's us. We need to make God's greatness known to the next generation, and, and that can include those that are around us. Um, people will not know unless we tell them. We have these words because these words were written down for us, and, and the tradition came down through the people of Israel that God is great, and that God is compassionate, and God is righteous. His deeds are wonderful. That stresses the power of his deeds. They're awesome. They're, they're beyond the power of man. They're supernatural. And they're great. They inspire awe. So that's God is great. Now the, the next strand here, the Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. And these words were exactly said in um, Exodus chapter 34 when Moses went back up the mountain for the second time after the golden calf incident and he'd smashed the tablets and he went up to get new ones. And we read there, when Moses went up the mountain to get the stone tablets with God's commandments for the second time, he and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. <coughs> if we know of God's compassion in our lives, we have the responsibility of testimony, the responsibility of telling the next generation. And we all need to, to work this out for ourselves. And we read that, um, that, that the Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. 
and, and the word compassion, the word compassion elsewhere in the Psalms is used for the tender love of a parent. Psalm 103.13, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. But let's think about this a bit more. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So his love is universal. It's good to all. Compassion on all is made. It speaks uh, of God's faithful people in verse 10. But I think God's love is not restricted to those who love him in return. It's not restricted to his people Israel. It's not restricted to those of us whose lives are already been touched by his love. God's love reaches out. It reaches out outside these walls to um, those that are around and God wants to draw people to himself. And he loves people who we might see as a problem. He loved people who the disciples saw as a problem, like the leper, like the tax collector, like the centurion whose child was ill. And I think there are, there are people that don't conform to our, that make it easy for us to love, easy for us to deal with. And here's an example. Um, I'm likely to get invited to a, uh, a same-sex wedding um, coming up with someone that I know. And this is a problem for many people in the church, but we have to learn how to love all people. God's love is for all. And we have to work through how we do that and don't turn people away from the love of God. So the, the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises, faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who were bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. I don't know where you are this morning whether you need a God who's going to catch you when you fall, whether you need a God to lift you up. So the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises, faithful in all he does. And whatever our circumstances, whether, they're, um, whether we're struggling with work, with ill health, with, with, with family issues, the Lord is there and he is there to uphold us and to, uh, to, to lift us up at the proper time. So the Lord is great, the Lord is compassionate, and the Lord is righteous. And this doesn't contradict with him being compassionate, as we've, we've, we're seeing that it's all linked and twisted together um, in the nature of God. These 
So justice lives side by side with his kindness. These are all the fibers of God that are twisted together. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. His righteousness, the righteousness of God, is the righteousness of grace. Just think about that for a moment. It's the, the grace that draws people near um, that we read about in verse 15. The grace that hears their cry and saves us and the grace of God that watches over us in verse 20. So, ask you a question. God's great. Can God do whatever he wants? If God is great, can he do whatever he wants? What do you think? Yes or no? Okay. Can God break his promises? So, what God does is consistent with his nature, and it's consistent with these strands of his being that we, that we see before us this morning. So, God is um, trustworthy. Verse 13b, the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. So I hope that I've got these ideas twisted together in your mind this morning about our great God, our compassionate God, our righteous God. But our understanding of God is not just shaped by these Old Testament teachings about the nature of God. We have another dimension to our understanding of the person of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So our Christian understanding of God is shaped by our understanding of Jesus. God is revealed supremely and finally through Jesus Christ. To know Jesus is to know God. God is great, he's compassionate, he's righteous, he is almighty. 
He can choose how he behaves, but it is always consistent with the nature of his being. He could do anything, but he chose to enter into a covenant with Israel, and he chose to be revealed to us in Jesus Christ. God's greatness is not symbolized in the sword, in the army, in the nuclear weapon. God's greatness is symbolized by a cross, a symbol of weakness, a symbol of betrayal, a symbol of uh, being of, of being devastated, of being destroyed. Isn't this unfathomable? Isn't this beyond our understanding that God should choose to do this and choose to do this for us? The symbol of his power is a cross. So God isn't the almighty tyrant, but a God who chooses to stand alongside us. Understand, uh, stand alongside us in our powerlessness. God's greatness and his omnipotence, it must be understood in the context of God's nature. But it must be understood in the context of Jesus Christ who died for us on uh, the cross. So, put your trust in him. All of these things about God are woven together, but they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is our, our challenge to trust in him, whether you have had a lifetime of trusting in him, or whether that's something new for you. But Jesus said, believe and be baptized. He wants us to believe in him, to trust in him, and his commandment to us, to us to express that, to demonstrate that, show it to others, show it to the next generation through the waters of baptism and declaring it in that way. So, if you say, well, that's not for me, don't, don't come and tell me about it and moan at me for... Um, kind of getting at you but that's between you and God you need to come before him and, and say what is right for me to do how, how can I trust you more how can I trust the wonderful God that we have had revealed to us and how can I demonstrate that how can I tell the next generation how can I um, show the love of God to others. Verse, we'll end um, with the last verse. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing to um, finish our service. We're going to sing about the splendor of the King. And we're going to sing the refrain, How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Let's stand to sing.